0: Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest today is Dr. Brandon Nicholson, founding executive director of the Hidden Genius Project, and we're talking about upcoming geniuses. What was the challenge that you saw that compelled you to start the Hidden Genius Project in the first place?
1: Uh, when we looked at the environment around us starting in Oakland, California, what we saw is a lot of young people, uh, particularly boys and young men and black boys and young men in particular, who were Involved in tech, maybe via social media, maybe had curiosity, maybe even developing things, but we didn't necessarily see a clear and solid pathway to engage them holistically as young leaders and build those skills around them, but try and build them first and foremost as great young people. And inspire them to understand how they might leverage technology to pursue their passions and their strengths and their dreams. So it was really all about opportunity. But of course, we recognize that there are a number of challenges that our boys and young men might face. And once we created the program, we recognized wanted to be able to engage young people across stages, backgrounds, realities. We wanted to be most accessible, of course, to young people who you know might not have a ton of opportunities, say, in their schools. So we always thought about this kind of group of folks in the chunky middle, not in remediation, but not high-flying and getting a lot of, you know, advanced support either. But more than anything, we wanted to create just a robust network for boys and Black young men.
0: How did it get started?
1: So the Hidden Genius Project started in 2012. Uh, a couple of buddies of mine Uh, close friends from my time in the Ron Brown Scholar Program. We were alumni of that program, and I always mention the Ron Brown Scholar Program, which was named for the late Secretary of Commerce under the Bill Clinton administration. Mr. Brown died in a plane crash in the Balkans in 1996, and immediately thereafter, a scholarship fund was named in his honor or developed in his honor. And the two principal founders, Jason Young and Ty Moore, happened to be a year in front of me and a year behind me, respectively, with respect to being in one of those cohorts. And this was a scholarship program for students of African descent to receive $40,000 unrestricted to equip them and empower them to be able to pursue their higher education studies, but also just support themselves as they, you know, enter this journey. That particular program, their mantra has always been the value of one, the power of all. So the whole point of all of this was to build a lifelong network for social change. And so you could imagine then how that set a model and example for us of what could be possible some years later, you know, a decade or so later when Jason and Ty came to Oakland to build their own for-profit technology venture and met some other technologists who had come to the area to kind of pursue the tech gold rush, as it were. And all these were black men who were just eager to pay it forward. And so even as they're all working and doing full-time work and probably more than full-time work, they all had the heart and passion, Jason, Ty... Isaac Hayes, Kirk Collins, and Kilimanjaro Robs, our founding five, so to speak, had a great deal of passion and, you know, energy and uh, hard headed determination to say, Let's do something about it right now, let's not wait and let's get going. Perhaps maybe even against the better advice of some folks with more level heads. But uh, you know, they felt like the time was now and, and so Jason and Ty, had, you know, even reached out to me and said, Well, wanna do this thing in Oakland, we wanna engage black boys and young men, we wanna teach them how to develop technology and be entrepreneurs, but really anchored in leadership and supporting them to be their best selves. We're going to work with these young people and get them the best equipment and the best skills, and they're going to learn to build and build their own technology, but also their own networks to pursue their interests and their career pathways.
0: Brandon, how many kids have you helped so far?
1: Sure. So all told, since 2012, we've served over 7,000 young people I'm in mean, our core program in that intensive immersion program, which I'm sure we'll talk some more about, but the one that's now our 15-month commitment for black boys and young men specifically. We've served about 270 semi- young men in that component from Oakland to Richmond, where we have a site, to Los Angeles, where we have a site, but also across the country and even spanning out to London, England and Johannesburg, South Africa.
0: Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest today is Dr. Brandon Nicholson, founding executive director of the Hidden Genius Project. Tell us about the 15-month program.
1: Sure. The 15-month intensive immersion program, you know, is our core component, it's our heart component. It's the component that has a very specific and tailored black male focus. As I mentioned, you know, the several thousands more young people we've served have really been across backgrounds and across different contexts, but when you look at the core of our work and where our adult staff spend the majority of their time, it's really digging in deeply and working closely with these boys and young men in our intensive. And At the core, really, is just it's a youth development program meant to really nurture and develop capable leaders first and foremost. A lot of people say, oh, it's a program to help train a bunch of coders or software engineers or Raise the next Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. And, and I think what people just should understand first and foremost is it's really about creating a safe space, a fun space, and a, a healthy space for these boys and young men to just to be together, be themselves, and then learn and, and develop skills together and grow together. And then the components that are technical in nature, the technology or even the business and entrepreneurship become the icing. But they commit to two intensive summers, usually about seven a weeks and then a the school year in between, and one Saturday a month, they're doing after school, it works out to about 800 hours of service. And they leave having understood, you know, built their own web projects, software, and or business projects, you know, learning some of the fundamentals of computer science, fundamentals of business and entrepreneurship, but hopefully, again, having really strong networks, the best network being each other, their peer network, but then making connections with you know, individuals from their communities, be it professional folks, their families or community leaders, and then hopefully a greater sense of understanding for, you know, how they want to kind of live their life and and proceed and, and then greater access to the resources they need to get them there.
0: What's the relationship like between the mentors, as you call them, and the students?
1: Yes, well, you know, I think first and foremost, our team just has a great deal of passion for the work and, you know, great deal of commitment to our mission and a wealth of experiences. And honestly, when I look at our team, it's never been about pedigree or been kind of classical training, et cetera. And, and, you know, we have a number of team members, you know, across our team who've had different winding, you know, stories and and paths and trajectories. And so even if they're very fortunate to have obtained a certain level of credentialing, many of them kind of went to the school of hard knocks first. And I think, you know, all of us have gone through a number of challenges. And so we start with the heart and the energy and, again, the willingness to dig in. And then from there, you know, we have to be humble enough to learn together to center on the young people and their interests. Sometimes we simultaneously willing to put our foot down and sometimes you got to take the shoe completely off and just get barefoot and, and, you know, and they end up walking all over us, right? But from the standpoint of just creating safe space and understanding, because that's what they need in that moment. And, uh, you know, so I think really proud of the team we have across Oakland, Richmond, Los Angeles, and of course, even our volunteers and supporters and consultants. We just have developed a a great team of people with a lot of heart for this work.
0: Brandon, you are doing this in your own backyard. You grew up in Oakland, right?
1: I did. I did, yes. I love Oakland, and my parents moved to Oakland before I was born. It's home for me and. I knew I'd be home for quite a while so I, I made myself go away to undergraduate on the East Coast and came back to the Bay Area to Berkeley for graduate school and knowing from there I was probably gonna hang around Oakland for a while and of course my wife who I met a year into graduate school is from Oakland and so you know our roots are here and it's one of the most, you know, of course beautiful places in the world in many different ways. But I think just growing up here taught me a lot and particularly, you know, the lessons I think my parents and adults in my village sought to teach me was really to be humble, be thoughtful, be caring, recognize you can learn and gain an education in a bunch of different ways from a bunch of different people. And also because of the spirit of what this city or the town, as we call it, has been, you don't have to take the status quo as the only possibility so it's a place where we've seen great activism and great work and you see that you know manifest also in so much of the community work and the movement building that is rooted here that becomes a model nationally if not internationally so I love this place and I love to travel and I love to learn about other places and be in new places but it's always a really great feeling to come home.
0: It probably gives you a lot of credibility too some of these kids cannot say well you don't know what it's like because you do.
1: Yeah, I think more than anything, it's pretty rare that a young person tells us we don't know it's like, whether we do or, or we do not. I think just because we start off coming from a place where we're trying not to judge them, we're trying to make them feel safe and allow the experience to be what it is. There absolutely are times when you have to tell anyone, including a young person in our program, we need you to do better. You know, we need you to push harder or do more. Um, that having been said. We have to recognize that in order to do that, they need some of the fundamental things to be in place. It's not always even going to be just about money or three hot meals a day either. You know, it might be just, again, you know, safety, stability, care, love, forgiveness, et cetera. And that can span you know, socioeconomic status. That can span educational background of their parents. So the number one thing we have to do is build trust to help them understand that we're hearing them in that moment. And then what we know or what we've gone through should matter a lot less. Certainly when we can share our experiences, and in my case, when I can share some of that, you know, it can help. But honestly, that's, I think, the number one way I'm able to buy credibility is by seeing each young person, right? If I can see them, then where I came from, what I saw, what I went through, that becomes of less consequence, right? They just see me as someone they can trust, who they recognize, this cares about them.
0: What kind of impact do you feel that you have on the students and the community?
1: when we talk about impact, there's certainly multiple layers, right? Sometimes there's the indicators and measures you know, that you might see more traditionally, you know, either in a grant proposal or a grant report. And you look at things like our high school graduation rate, which is now north of 95% for young people in our intensive program, where you can look at that similar percentage, even for young people enrolling in post-secondary education, even as we trying to support our young people to pursue any number of different pathways, could look at the number of young people we hire as alumni to work for us later on, et cetera, et cetera. That having been said, you know, the true impact I think is really, could be tougher to measure quantitatively, and we do survey, but could be a little bit more kind of squishy, if you will. And that's just certainly, I think, reflected in the confidence of our young people, their confidence in themselves, their confidence to be leaders in their communities, their belief in the value within their communities. Their ultimate commitment to trying to take on leadership and ownership, right, of their work and what they do. I think when you start talking about those, you feel it in the community. But one of the coolest and most concrete ways, I think, you see it for our young people is that we have our intensive programs I've been referencing throughout this uh, conversation, and yet we have a number of different components. As I mentioned, we talk about these other components, including you know single events and we have you know series that we do we also have partnerships we establish with other community organizations and the young people they serve such that we facilitate programming for them and when you look at all that at this point at least probably 90 percent of that is facilitated by alumni of our intensive program by these black boys and young men and as i mentioned that programming might reach young people more broadly it might reach girls latina girls from the other side of town it might reach You know, we went to an all-girls school, for example, in East London, when we went to London, right? You know, girls of cross backgrounds, and it was our boys and young men facilitating. It might be a local prep school uh, that hosts, uh, you know, some enrichment programming for young people cross backgrounds and cross-racial backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, including, you know, upper income, and our young people are facilitating that. And so... When people might be listening and saying, wonder why just boys or why just black boys or what have you, you know, we're focusing on the one group, pouring everything we have into developing them, enriching them, empowering them because they deserve it, because they need it. When you make that investment, as we do into these uh, boys and young men, in our intensive program then effectively become you know, deputized as these leaders right, in the community who are able to bring a even more rich experience to young people and communities more broadly. And now we've been able to reach young people from age four to 84. And it's not because we are just all over the place and we've got mission creep. It's because we've been able to develop an entire infrastructure that allows us to really train and empower uh, our young leaders to then lead others.
0: Give us your contact information. If anyone does want to talk to you about anything we've spoken about today, what would be the best way to go about doing that?
1: Sure. Yeah. Please check us out at hiddengeniusproject.org and you can always get a hold of us there, but also on social media, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Hidden Genius Pro on Facebook slash The Hidden Genius Project and on LinkedIn as well. And you can just search The Hidden Genius Project.
0: Thanks to our guest, Dr. Brandon Nicholson. For Closer Look, I'm Kendra Ponzio.